Welcome to the Global Workplace, Diversity, Equality, Opportunity. Your host is Alma Besserton, the founder and director of Wimmigrants of Australia. In our program, we will showcase the global organizations who are making a difference worldwide for skilled migrants, as well as focus on some challenges the migrants face with diversity and inclusion. Now, here is your host, Alma Besserton. Greetings, Voice America listeners, and uh, thank you for tuning into the Global Workplace Radio Show. And hello from Melbourne, Australia, or down under, as some of you may know us. I am so excited to be with you for the next few months here on the Business Channel, where I will be sharing insights and stories with prominent guests about various topics, such as challenges for professional migrants globally, what the benefits are for governments and industries, and how to embrace this valuable global resource. I will be talking about inclusive leadership, importance of values and beliefs both for newcomers and the host countries, and much more. I'll be also sharing special insights to assist women globally improve their confidence and leadership skills. Today on The Global Workplace, I wanted to share my own story so you get to know a bit more about me and why I was so passionate about doing this show. I imagine many of you may relate to my experience and my story. Of course, you can sense my accent by now and you might wonder where I originally came from. I arrived in Australia in my late 20s, having fled the former Yugoslavia due to raising civil conflict in early 90s. It was very difficult to adjust to my new environment, new people, the Australian accented English, and its peculiar local expressions that I'm still learning. No friends, no networking events, no guidance, and no such a thing as internet back in those days. There was no career coach that I could engage. My law degree was not recognized due to a different legal system, so I couldn't work as a lawyer, and I wondered, what should I continue to do? Do I continue law or I do something else? But what else? Luckily, thanks to a teacher where I was studying English at a local university, I was pointed in a good direction to study postgraduates in human resource management and industrial relations. It gave me the local qualifications I needed and was a way to bridge my legal experience in employee relations. But once I finished my studying, there was another challenge. I couldn't get a job, even in a lower level human resources job, and I couldn't understand why. I remembered times when I sent 60, 70 applications per month. Then the common feedback emerged that I lacked local experience. My resume was not good and I didn't have any local references and list went on. Worse still, I received no information on how to attain these things. Only with my perseverance and determination, I managed to overcome these obstacles, but it wasn't easy. Now, all these years later, having well established my career and reputation in Australian market, I have the privileged perspective of seeing and understanding the issues of other skilled migrants. 
My passion arose to help these clever people and I established Wimigrants to assist them dealing with the issues I had and to help them find their place in their new home effectively and quickly. My passion is also helping organizations create a culture of diversity and engagement where everyone is embraced. So here is the real point. It became obvious to me that not only the individuals, especially women, but also employers and the economy could only benefit from what I have learned. In fact, I soon discovered the issue in Australia had global parallels and so I used the opportunity to now take my perspective to air and starting this program. So there you have my journey and the reasons for my exciting vision in nutshell. I'd now like to look at this issue. Unfortunately, there are a vast number of skilled migrants getting stuck working in jobs well below their qualifications, including driving cabs, waitressing, and lowest of all, cleaning toilets. Restaurants, factories, office buildings are full of these people with various degrees working these menial tasks. In Australia, for example, most skilled migrants come from India, Pakistan or other Asian countries and they come really educated with MBAs, double degrees and some are even medical doctors. Feedback is always the same. They can't find jobs they're qualified for. Not having local experience or bearing qualifications that are not recognized. Unfortunately, it also appears many simply don't know the right processes in a new country. It's a significant brain and skill resource just remaining untapped. Here is a question for you. Have you ever worked or lived in another country? Had trouble finding a suitable job for your skills or even any job at all despite your amazing experience? Or have you ever missed a job opportunity as a female to a male applicant despite you both having similar experience? So, has anything changed in Australia since I came? Despite Google, Facebook and other media, these people still struggle in the same way I did nearly 27 years ago. Another commonality is that it's women particularly who struggle getting established. There are the ones who, with little exception, most need to build their confidence and capabilities to get the right foothold from where they can become the leaders in their workplace and communities they deserve. Through my clients globally, my discovery is that not just Australia, but it seems most countries don't have dedicated infrastructure and programs to support skilled or highly educated and experienced people from abroad. Government departments may have websites where they provide a checklist of things that may be useful, such as how to write a resume. They may also give a list of job search engines like seek.com here in Australia, which gives the information of what they need, but these do not provide specific guidance of how to create a good resume or how to establish relationships with recruiters or understand culture and so on. 
Some skilled migrants are aware of what they must do, but they still experience the challenge of lacking the local experience. At least here in Australia, that's the case. But it also seems this is a case globally. Incidentally, let me emphasize that the adjustment is needed on both sides. What I mean is when coming to any new environment, we bring our beliefs, values, culture, and upbringing. For example, when we start a new job, we have to figure out how to fit in. On top of that, at the broader environment of being in a new country. On the other hand, though, the people of the host country must also adjust to your manners, traditional clothing, your accent, etc., and accept, accommodate, and make allowance for these differences. This is very important to understand. This doesn't mean that we must compromise on who we are, but means that we need to acquire knowledge on how things are done in a new country. To be able to adjust or assimilate in a new environment, we must build our social awareness. So let me mention a few ways to increase our social awareness. Seek the whole picture. Since we see ourselves through rose-colored glasses, chances are we are seeing only part of the picture. Looking outward and seeking this feedback are key to social awareness because this gives us chance to see how others view us, to see the whole picture. The best method of seeking how others perceive you is simple, but it takes courage and strength. Understand the rules of the culture game. Social awareness extends beyond just picking up someone's emotional cues. Let's say you start a new job in a company. To be successful, you will need to learn how things are done. Much of doing and saying the right things in social situations comes from understanding the rules of culture game. The secret to winning the culture game is to treat others how they want to be treated, not how you wish to be treated. The trick is to identify the rules not only of the culture of the new country, but also business culture. To learn the culture game, listen and watch, collect observations and think before jumping to conclusions. Look for similarities and differences between how you would play the game versus how others are playing the game and ask questions. The landscape of migration has completely changed over the decades. When we look at migration trends in Australia, for example, in the early 50s and 60s, we had a huge influx of European migrants. They came with few qualifications or higher education, quite unlike the skilled migrants of today. Those who arrived in early 50s played a large part in building infrastructure like roads and dams, but also worked manufacturing like auto industry and vast numbers set up very successful agricultural farms. In the 70s, we had a huge intake of Vietnamese refugees who have since become some of the country's most entrepreneurial leaders. 
I'll be speaking one of those, incidentally a woman, in a few weeks. Our migrants nowadays come with extremely high levels of education and skills that potentially set the grounds for unprecedented future economic growth. However, upon coming to the chosen country, there are challenges to even find jobs or integrate into the country that, by all intents and purposes, should have progressed on these matters far beyond how it was 40 years ago. Here is another irony. Most countries outsource their support IT functions to India, for example, or business support functions to the Philippines. And yet, when these same people wander abroad to Australia, USA, or Canada, they hit a wall trying to get anything but the most menial jobs. It would seem mindset needs to adjust faster to a global perspective in order to take full advantage of this changing global economy. To start illustrating my point in some detail, I wanted now to share an experience of a lady who came from India and live now in Australia who recently wrote to me, quote, coming to this country with so much of excitement, preparedness and with almost spending everything we earned by now experiencing a blend of so many cultures and languages. The good time lasts a very short time. Coming and starting a professional life was not as easy as it seems. Having a master's degree and a good amount of industry experience, yet still getting no from organizations. The reason is clearly communicated. You don't have local experience local education, and you don't know how the market works here. So, now ended with a master's degree and experience within top-notch companies and no job in hand. We now call it Global Village. Can't we consider education and experience globally? I will share another story from someone, but before I do that, I wanted to make a point about career advice for skilled migrants. Skilled migrants often fall prey to bad advice by people inadequately qualified to give such advice. There is also perception there is a need to pursue yet further studies. My advice is this. Before you decide to study further, make sure you understand what will you gain? Getting another master's will not necessarily get you a job faster. In fact, you will study another two or three years and only have a further unemployment gap in the meantime. Sometimes you may just need to get a local accreditation or certification through one of the professional associations of relevance. Of course, if you don't have any qualifications in the field you wish to enter, then you may choose to study further to get local qualifications. It is important to also understand how you can bridge your skills and qualifications. For me, example, finishing 
postgraduates in human resources breached my level of education, allowing me to work in a human resources and employee relations. My advice is to talk to someone to get a further clarification before you commit to study further. Or, of course, you can contact me on alma at womigrants.com.au. I want you to share now another communications from Adina, who is an American expert living in Australia now. She said, Committing to experiencing another culture as a community member expands an individual worldview, giving them a greater spectrum of understanding. In a highly connected world, the importance of embracing being a global citizen is crucial to balancing the need of local community versus international or micro versus macro. Global citizenship being defined as seeing oneself as being part of an emerging world, community as views their actions as helping define this community's value and practices. When moving to Australia, whether temporarily for a working holiday, sponsored worker or as a permanent resident, it is common for migrants to face challenges regarding a lack of Australian experience. This could mean lack of promotion, difficulties finding work, worker enclaves or worse, workplace bullying. These challenges arise from several factors that I will talk about after the break. So we will take a break now and when we return, I look forward to perhaps hearing some of your stories and experiences. For international listeners, please dial in on 001 480-398-3352. You are listening. The Global Workplace will be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Immigrants of Australia is a unique organization helping skilled immigrants, in particular women, to establish careers and integrate in a new country. For individuals, we offer coaching and mentoring programs. For organizations, we help create diverse and engaging culture, offer talent placement, career transitions, diversity strategy, and inclusive leadership development. We are also available for speaking and consulting engagements. Visit Wimmigrants.com.au for more information. That's Wimmigrants.com.au. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Global Workplace with Alma Besserton. To reach the show, please call into our toll-free lines in North America, 1-866-472-5790. 
That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to elma at wimmigrants.com.au. Now, back to The Global Workplace. Thank you so much for joining us again. Before the break, I've uh, shared two stories of two ladies who wrote to me before the show. Um, one was from uh, India and had difficulties to still uh, getting the job and finding uh, a really fit in Australia in terms of uh, issues with a local experience. And the other one is actually... Um, American expert living in Australia and um, she is a small medium-sized business consultant specializing in change and expansion management and Adina's mixed heritage, uh, Mexican, Caucasian, American and Jewish inspired her to pursue studies in international affairs and uh, I read Adina's uh, story just before the break. So um, these challenges really arise from several factors that uh, skilled migrants have. Difficulties in transferring credentials and uh, really uh, challenges in terms of the, the local experience. And um, we're talking about the challenges for skilled migrants and host countries globally. It became clear that 21st century is an era of unprecedented human mobility and one that has been marked urban as people both internationally and internally move to cities and urban areas. They bring diversity and connect communities within and across borders, creating new linkages amongst localities and calling for new approaches for urban governance and migration policies. Here are some interesting stats. There were an estimated 216 million immigrants, people who permanently live outside of their home countries worldwide in 2010, according to the National Organization for Migration. This number is about 3% of global population. People immigrate for a variety of reasons, including to search for better economies, receive higher education, or to escape hostile conditions. Europe had the most immigrants, with about 70 million, followed by North America on about 45 million. The most popular destinations for immigrants in 2010 were the United States, with more than 42 million, followed by Russia with more than 12 million, and Germany with more than 10 million. Based on 2012 survey, an estimated 640 million adults would migrate to another country if they only could. Here is something interesting. If the total number of immigrants were combined into one area, it would be the fifth most populous country in the world. In 2010, there were an estimated 15.4 million refugees or people who fled their home countries 
because of war or persecution. Migrants tend to concentrate in cities of these countries. Almost all growth in the world population over the next few decades of another 2.5 billion is expected to be in urban areas in low and middle income countries, particularly in Africa and Asia. Every day, an estimated 120,000 people are migrating to cities in the Asia-Pacific region. According to the World Migration Report 2015, mobility is likely to rise to 63%. The Asia-Pacific region has added nearly 1 billion people to its urban population between 1990 and 2014. About whom is China alone, 450 million. As part of a long-term trend, the urban population of the region has more than doubled between 1950 and 1975, and again between 1975 and 2000. It's anticipated to almost double once more between 2000 and 2025. Talking about diversity and mobility, here is another interesting insight. In the USA, due to projected growth amongst Asian, Hispanic and multiracial groups, traditionally unrepresented populations will hit majority status by 2043, according to the Census Bureau in 2012. While the non-Hispanic white population will remain the largest single group, no group will make up majority. All in all, minorities, now 37% of the USA population, are projected to comprise 57% of the population in 2060. The total minority population would more than double from 116.2 million to 241.3 million over the period. It also seems that number of women entrepreneurs are raising in USA. In the seventh annual report by the state of women-owned businesses, Commissioned by America Express, it was noted that as of January 2017, there are an estimated 11.6 million women-owned businesses in the United States that employ nearly 9 million people and generate more than 1.7 trillion in revenues. Over the past 20 years, in a period 1997 to 2017, the number of women-owned businesses has grown 114% compared to the overall national growth rate of 44% for all businesses. 
Women-owned businesses now account for 39% of all U.S. firms and employ 8% of total private sector workforce and contribute 4.2% of total business revenues. The combination of women-owned businesses and firms equally owned by men and women account for 47% of all businesses. These firms employ about 14% of the workforce and generate 7% of revenues. As of 2017, minorities accounted for 46% of all women-owned businesses and generating $361 billion in revenues. The annual growth rate between 1997 and 2017 of the number of minority women-owned businesses was 9% versus 8% over the past year. If we break down these stats per minorities, here is some of the results. As of 2017, African Americans owned 19% of all women-owned businesses, and they generated 56 billion in revenues. Number of firms has grown 14% over the past year compared to 10% annual growth between 1997 and 2017. These women are backing the trend of declining growth for most businesses owned segments analyzed in this report. Now, talking about African-American, I came across the book that is on my desk at the moment by Kathy Porter and Andrea Hoffman, and it's called $50 Billion Boss. And it talks about African-American women sharing stories of success in entrepreneurship and leadership, and it's a really a great reading. And if you actually haven't heard about this book, I really encourage you to order. I've ordered mine through Amazon. And it talks about um, uh, American, African-American um, entrepreneur ladies, and they shared their stories and the wisdom of how they succeeded in a business. And uh, I'm really um, enjoying reading this book. So I really encourage you to, to read. And um, this book actually share a lot of stats from the um, the State of Women-Owned Business Report commissioned by American Express, uh, uh, Express Summary of Key Trends. And um, there are a lot of, lot of interesting data in, uh, in this book referred by Kathy Porter and Andrea Hoffman. But going back to the stats um, in terms of what the reports uh, showed for the other uh, women minorities, Latinas owned 17% of all women-owned businesses, and um, they generated $103 billion in revenues. And number of firms has grown 7% over the past year compared to 
Asian Americans owned 9% of all women-owned businesses. And um, they generated $188 billion in revenues. Asian American owned 9% of all women-owned businesses and generated $188 billion. Number of firms has grown 9% over the past year compared to 7% annual growth between period of 1997 to 2017. Talking about Native American, Alaska Native owned 1.4% of all women-owned businesses and employing 61 1,300 workers and generating 11 billion in revenues. Annual growth of the number of firms between 1997 and 2017 was 6% versus 5% over the past year. As of 2017, according to the same report, native Hawaiian Pacific Islanders owned uh, about 0.3% of all women-owned businesses, generating 2.4 billion in revenues. Number of firms has grown 10% over the past year compared to 9% annual growth between 1997 and 2017. Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander women are also going against the slowdown trend in entrepreneurship. So I know this is a lot of data, but it shows a really trend in uh, increasing women in entrepreneurship. And um, over the past two decades, uh, according to these uh, stats, women-owned businesses have increased their numbers by 6.2 million firms vast majority, 71%, or 609 of the new women-owned businesses launched each day are owned by women of color, compared to only 240 non-minority-owned um, um, businesses. African-American women-owned businesses have increased per day by 259 Latina-owned firms by 227. Asian-American women-owned businesses by 104. And Native American Alaska Native women-owned businesses by 15. And Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander women-owned businesses by 4. I really encourage you to read this report. Um, it's called the 217 State of Women-Owned Business Report, commissioned by American Express Summary of Key Trends. I really encourage you to have a look at that. So, no doubt that all of these changes will result in economic and demographic changes. I know this was a lot of stats, but stats are really painting the picture and they tell the truth. And these stats really fascinating me. And my question is, 
are countries globally ready to make changes to embrace culture of diversity, equality, and opportunity? Are we ready to embrace also migrant people, their experience, and to create a true workplace where the only things that matter are really diversity of ideas? I wonder when recruitment and hiring managers will shift away from focusing on local experiences and turn their attention to the valuable experiences these people import. According to McKenzie Echo, companies that exhibit gender and ethnic diversity are respectively 15% and 35% more likely to outperform those they don't. We know that organizations with more racial and gender diversity bring in more sales revenue, more customers, and higher profits. We are going to take a short pause um, in our dialogue today, and I will share more on this topic when we come back. Of course, I would love to hear your stories, and if you are also a manager who really have fantastic um, opportunities to talk and share your stories, please um, ring us and share your story. So um, stay tuned. We'll be back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Immigrants of Australia is a unique organization helping skilled immigrants, in particular women, to establish careers and integrate in a new country. For individuals, we offer coaching and mentoring programs. For organizations, we help create diverse and engaging culture, offer talent placement, career transitions, diversity strategy, and inclusive leadership development. We are also available for speaking and consulting engagements. Visit Wimmigrants.com.au for more information. That's Wimmigrants.com.au. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network the bottom line in business.
You are listening to Global Workplace with Alma Besserton. To reach the show, please call into our toll-free lines in North America, 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to alma at wimmigrants.com.au. Now, back to the Global Workplace. Welcome back and uh, thanks for staying with us. Before the break, I was talking about impact of global migration and I um, referred to lots of lots of stats from the um, State of Women-Owned Business Report commissioned by American Express. And uh, I was saying that uh, no doubt the changes that I was referring back will result in economic and demographic changes. And these stats really, really fascinating me. And my question that I posed before was that, are we really globally ready to make changes to embrace culture of diversity, equality, and opportunity? Are we ready to embrace migrant people, their experience to create a true workplace with the only thing that matters, a diversity of ideas? I still hear from lots of clients globally where they have challenges with the local experience. And I am really wondering when we will stop putting attention to a local experience and see beyond the local experience and see the potential that these people bring. I was also referring to McKenzie and Co where they actually did a lot of studies globally and they know and we know that organizations with more racial and gender diversity are more successful. But diversity is not just about mirroring the country's demographics. It's also about innovation and performance. That statement is backed by decades of sociological and economic research. And there are reasons why that is true. In part, it's because people with different backgrounds and perspectives bring different information to the table. Members of diverse teams can't take for granted that their teammates think the same way they do. That leads them to question their own assumptions and anticipate alternative viewpoints. The result, the more creative ideas in solutions. In the next couple of weeks, I will be talking to one of uh, my colleagues that I worked many, many years ago here in Australia, who is fantastic in creating diverse workplaces. And he will share with us the way that he include um, people with a diverse backgrounds. Let me now talk about uh, some views um, that we often hear on the radio or um, read in a newspaper in terms of migration and what are the pros and cons. We know there are conflicting views on the impact of immigration on the economies of receiving countries. Opponents of immigration believe that migrants steal the jobs and depress the wages. Other argument is that increasing number of migrants may destroy 
the local community's identity and its institution or create conflicts amongst ethnic groups. Proponents of immigration, on the other hand, contend that immigrants are not the cause of job loss on the side of local population as they mostly do those works which are considered too menial by their host societies. The proponents also add that migrants create added value to the economy since there are also consumers and stimulate the economy, which in turn creates new jobs, not even mentioning entrepreneurs who also create jobs. Now, talking about stimulating the economy and consumers, I've also ordered another book that I would like to share with you, which I ordered um, on Amazon, and it's called Black is the New Green. It's, um, it's written by Leon, uh, Leonard Burnett Jr. and Andrea Hoffman. And this book also talks about that the general market for luxury goods has become stagnant. And given the new economic reality of the early 21st century, not to mention all of the important demographic shift in the new country, it's a bad business to continue to rely on luxuries, traditional consumer base to support sales. And what they're talking in this book is that um, total number of affluent ethnic households in the United States is now estimated is over 1.3 million and the buying power of affluent African-American is currently 87.3 billion. And what they're talking in the book is that this massive buying power is expected to reach more than 1.1 trillion by 2012. And it would be foolish in the extreme not to tap into the rich buying segment. So it just talks about that economy is changing and we are perhaps, perhaps not tapping into that economy when it comes to the different consumers. Um, just recently I came across an article by Grace Nasri called The Shocking Stats About Who's Really Starting Companies in America and You may come across this article yourself. This is what she said. Fully a third of venture-backed companies that went public between 2006 and 2012 had at least one immigrant founder at the helm. What do Google, Sergey Brin, eBay, Pierre Omidia, and Tesla Motors, Elon Musk, all have in common. Each of these serial entrepreneurs who founded companies that have market caps in the tens of hundreds of billions employing tens of thousands of workers were born outside of US, from Yahoo to Facebook and LinkedIn. Each of these innovative companies that have played such a large role in the U.S. economy had at least one founder that was born abroad and then immigrated 
to United States. Immigrants today are more than twice as likely to fund businesses as their native-born counterparts, and they are responsible for more than 25% of all new business creations and related job growth. Currently, more than 40% of Fortune 500 companies were funded by immigrants or the children of immigrants, according to a study by the Partnership for a New American Economy, a group of governors and business leaders launched by New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg and Australian media heavyweight Rupert Murdoch. The other positive side of immigration has the potential of facilitating the transfer of skills and contributing to culture enrichment. In the developed countries, migration is seen as an answer to aging population. According to UN statistics, the total fertility rate decreased globally by almost half from 5.0 to 2.7 children per woman in the last 50 years. And it is expected to drop to the replacement level of 2.1 children per woman in the next half century. Presently, the total fertility rate is below the replacement level in all industrialized countries. This development has tripled the number of older persons in the last 50 years. It is also expected that this number will more than triple again in the next 50 years, raising serious concerns over sustainability of social security systems. Aging population has significant implication on labor market as well globally. Older people today are significantly less likely to participate in the labor force than they were in the past. Labor force participation of persons aged 65 or over declined by more than 40% at the global level in the last half century. In 1950, one in every three persons aged 65 or over was in the labor force. In 2000, this ratio increased, decreased to just less than one in five. This is an alarming situation for the developed countries as it creates a serious labor shortage for their economies. According to the OECD, which is Organization for Economic Development, in the medium term, as early as 2015, the increasing number of retirees will in some occupation lead to a replacement labor demand that may be hard to fill 
from domestic labor supplies for some developed countries. Germany, for example, is embracing immigration partially for that reason, as its native population are reproducing at a shrinking rate. So the question is, does this imply a more favorable environment for international migration? The answer of the proponents of immigration will certainly be a positive one. We are getting towards the end of session today, and I know I've given a lot of stats and positioned at really a global perspective because there is a lot going on in this field. And you see from some of the topics that I touched on today, this is a hot one for discussion. And I look forward to hearing your ideas, experience, and any studies that you have read or participated in that we should all hear about next time. I would like to mention that for the next couple of weeks, I will have a couple of really interesting guests and uh, two of them are women. My guest next week is Magda Lilia Celli, who is one of leading people in cybersecurity and being a woman in this field, she will share insights why women are great in cyber field. She will also share the insights if you are, as a woman, interested in getting a career in cybersecurity, what's the process and how can you do that? My other guest will be uh, a really inspiring lady as well. Um, her name is Lee Ho and uh, she is a very prominent entrepreneur. He's an Australian. She will share in the next couple of weeks um, how did she succeed? Um, she came in Australia as a refugee and she will share the story. She is now successfully leading the business here in Australia. Um, lastly, before I go, I would like to share this quote with you from Stephen R. Covey. Strength lies in differences, not in similarities. Let me repeat it again. Strength lies in differences, not in similarities. I really like this because even when we recruit people, we recruit people that are very similar to us. So perhaps we need to recruit people that are um, different to us. This is Alma Besedin. Thank you for listening to Global Workplace. Till we meet again, have a fabulous week ahead and stay healthy, happy and safe. Thank you for making us a part of your week. Please join Alma Besserton for another edition of the Global Workplace next Tuesday at 4 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week.